to be out here with you guys this morning. I, I kind of got a heads up that I might be preaching like a couple of weeks ago. And so I've been like just absolutely meditating on this message. And I came up with a title for it. It was the first thing that happened. And I've been so excited just to tell you the title. So I'm like amped up for this whole message. I just want you to know it's been a while since I've felt this way about one message, but like I am amped up. But before we do that, we need to pray. We need to pray. So if you would stand up with me, what I want us to do is I want us to just acknowledge that Jesus is king. He's got complete authority. He gets to do what he wants to do. We're following him. It's not the other way around. And so I want us to just pray and just say, God, whatever you want for me, whatever you want me to hear, whatever you want to put into my heart today, let's just pray. Let's just pray. Father, we, we come before you and we acknowledge that Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords. And that when we, when we respond to the call to follow him, we're responding, God, to a place of surrender. That we'd lay it all down at the feet of Jesus, whatever he asks of us, because he's worthy of it, because he deserves it. And so, Father, today as we dive into your word, God, we want to hear from you. So, Holy Spirit, move in this place. We give you the room. Give us eyes to see what you're speaking through your word. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches today. Give us hearts that are receptive to it. We just want to be transformed by you. We want to find the, the good life that Jesus said he came to lead us into. And we know that to find the good life, we have to lay down the bad one. So lead us in that today, Holy Spirit. Help us to receive the good thing that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So you guys ready for the title? You might not be as impressed by it as I am, but like I'm just telling you, I've been telling people this title because I'm so excited about it. Here it is, you ready? From the synagogues to the streets. Yeah, some of you got excited. I love that. I'm just, listen, I've been like, I've been in a deep dive in Luke's gospel. I don't know why. I just, the Holy Spirit has drawn me there and like, there's just so much good stuff, and I have to share with you some of the good stuff that I've read. And, and the big thing that just keeps jumping out to me is this whole concept of from the synagogue to the streets. Now, so we're all on the same page. Let me explain really quickly what the synagogue was, because if you don't know what that was, this isn't going to make much sense. So for the Israelites, for the Jewish people, they had the temple in Jerusalem, and that was like the home base, right? That's, that's God HQ. That's where the high priest did his thing. You know, that's, that's where if you walked in, you, you know, anyways, that was, but what happened was as the, as the Jewish people kind of started spreading out a little bit, like that's a really long walk to make it all the way to the temple. And so what they did was they developed these synagogues and they were like community churches. Brilliant idea, right? Like instead of having to walk a hundred miles to church on Sunday, you can just go to the little synagogue, you know, and they still had big festivals and things like that, that they would have to go to the temple in Jerusalem for. But for the most part, they could go to the synagogue in their own town or village. And, and that's where, you know, they would hear the word of God and all those kind of things. So it's the local church. Are you all with me? The synagogue is the local church. When you hear me say the word synagogue, you should think local church, right? All right, good. So in Luke's gospel, the Holy Spirit inspires him to organize his gospel in just an absolutely wonderful, beautiful way. And if you know the gospels, if you've read them, you know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar to each other. They kind of share a lot of the same stories. And then John's just a wild man who just absolutely goes a different direction and shares a whole bunch of other stories that the other gospel writers don't. And it's just, it's wonderful. But each one of them has a little nuance of the message that they're trying to convey. And so what I want to do is I want to show you what I believe Luke's main message is about Jesus. You guys good with that? You're going to have to be really excited because I'm really excited. Like this is just lighting my fire today. All right, so here we go. Big idea number one, my main point. I've only got three of them. I'm going to take 12 hours to preach them, but I got three points. Point number one is this. In Luke's gospel, the biggest main idea is that Jesus is here not yet, that, go to the, Jesus is here to rescue humanity. Point, num, point number one, we put it in big letters for you. Oh, I froze. Oh, no, no, point number one, you're getting ahead of me. 
It's all right. From the synagogue to the streets. Point number one in Luke's gospel is that Jesus is here to rescue humanity. And what I want to do is I want to show you how Luke's gospel just keeps on driving this point home. It's like Luke wants us, when we think of Jesus, it's almost as if he wants us to think of one thing. Jesus is rescuing people. That's what he's doing. So in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 4, I'm going to read from verses 18 to 21, but this is one of the differences in Luke's gospel from Matthew and Mark. Matthew and Mark start Jesus' ministry with Jesus just going out and proclaiming the good news and telling people to repent. But Luke starts it somewhere else. In, in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14, Jesus has been baptized. He's been in the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days as he fasted and he defeated the devil. And in verse 14, it says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Now check this out. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Hey, you know, if, just throwing this out there, and for the live streamers that maybe have been hesitant to come back to church, I just, I want you to hear this. God himself thought it was important to be in the congregation. If, if Jesus, who is God, knew that he needed to make it his custom to be with the people of God, we also should do this, right? Are we? Because there's something about it that we need. And I don't say that as like a con- condemnative thing. I say it as like there's something you need to be present with the body to have. And so if you've been hesitant, I just want to encourage you, come back to church. We want to see your face. We want to see your smile. We want to see your crazy hair, whatever. We want to see you. So come back to church. Anyways. Jesus' custom was to be in the synagogue, so we know that was an important part of his life. Um, As he was there, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. All right, now remember, this is how Luke is starting Jesus' public ministry. This is the first thing that Jesus does in his public ministry. He reads from the place in Isaiah where it is said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I was expecting a little bit. What is happening? Jesus has just read from the prophet of Isaiah. and What is this prophecy all about? Hey, I'm coming to rescue people. There's people that are hurting, there are blind people, that need, there are prisoners that need set free, there are poor people that need to know that God is for them. Jesus starts, Luke says, Jesus starts his public ministry with saying, I'm here to rescue. You got, are you tracking? Are you getting it? Check this out. It's so good. Then he rolled up the scroll. Jesus is absolutely a boss. I love it. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down, which was the traditional way that rabbis would teach in the synagogues. They would stand to read from the scroll, and when they were done, they would sit down and they would teach. And look what Jesus does. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, today, today, right now, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Luke starts Jesus' public ministry on a very clear, definitive note. He's here to rescue. That's what, and it starts right now. All right, you guys with me? Good. If you go to Luke chapter 5, and again, this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry in Luke's gospel. I mean, we've got Jesus starts off by saying, I'm here to rescue people, and then we get this really beautiful story of the tax collector that Jesus calls. His name is Matthew, also known as Levi. So some of the gospels call him Levi, some call him Matthew, but it's the same dude. He calls Levi to come and follow him. And you guys are probably familiar with the story. Uh, Levi's so excited that Jesus has called him. He gets up, he leaves everything. He throws a big party for Jesus at his house and he invites all of his sinner friends because maybe those are the only friends he has. I don't know. So he invites all the sinner people to come and Jesus goes gladly to his house. They're having a nice little you know, banquet, whatever party, whatever you would call it. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, they know Jesus has went there, and they're like, why is he doing that? 
They're like offended at him. And Luke, in the attempt to double down on what he has already established, that Jesus is here to rescue, he finishes the story with this little wisdom nugget from Jesus. In Luke 5.31, Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What's happening here? Luke is letting us know Jesus has a mission, and that mission is to rescue. That's what he's all about. Now, this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In Luke's gospel, the way that it's orchestrated, and the Holy Spirit is just masterful in how he led Luke to do this. You get to Luke chapter 19, and a shift is going to happen. The public part of Jesus' ministry where he goes out and does miracles, and he's healing people, and he's proclaiming the kingdom, that's coming to an end, and he's actually going to be entering into Jerusalem, and the whole Passion Week crucifixion story is going to take place. So there's a dynamic shift that happens. And here's what Luke puts at the very end of Jesus' public ministry. It's the story of another tax collector. His name is Zacchaeus. You probably know of him. Famous song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man. We, we know who we're talking about. If you go look at Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 19, you will find something amazing. It's almost the exact same story. The difference is Matthew's not looking for Jesus but Jesus finds him. In the story of Zacchaeus, they're both tax collectors. In the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is curious. He wants to see Jesus. And yet it's still Jesus that finds Zacchaeus. He goes to both of their houses. There's a party there. A bunch of people get upset that Jesus is hanging out with sinners. And in Luke 19, this is how Luke finishes it. Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. Luke starts his public ministry with Jesus declaring, I'm here to rescue. Luke goes to the very beginning of Jesus' ministry and shows us how Jesus is going to rescue and again drives it home. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call the sinners to repentance. And he bookends Jesus' public ministry before Passion Week with another story to just remind us again in case we forgot, what did Jesus come to do? Seek and save the lost. Right? Are you guys getting this? I'm telling you, something's going to happen today. Luke doesn't want there to be any confusion about what Jesus is here on the earth to do. Jesus is here to rescue humanity. I want you to consider this with me, though. Throughout the Gospels, you will encounter many stories of people who are rescued. Gospels are full of stories who are being rescued. But we're also going to encounter many stories of people who aren't. And I wonder what's the difference between the ones that do get rescued and the ones that don't. And here's what, here's what I think. It appears to me throughout the Gospels that you can't rescue people who can't acknowledge they actually need rescue. Part, part of my prayer for us today would be this, that, that we would all stand in a position of saying, I actually need rescued by Jesus. And I know some of you are like, I am rescued. I'm saved. I know. But the weird thing about being human is like, there's still a lot of stuff in there that Jesus needs to get out. And I think the proper response to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is for us to continually stay in a place of saying, I need to be rescued some more. Like my sins are forgiven. That's not a problem. But I still got a whole lot of stuff in me that needs to get out. You know what I'm saying? I need to be put through the filter of the Holy Spirit. You know, like you filter water, we need to be filtered. But just keep pouring me through the Holy Spirit filter until I'm just absolutely pure, right? I want to be transformed from glory to glory to glory. It appears to me in the Gospels that the people that wanted rescued acknowledged they needed rescued. They always got rescued. In fact, to my knowledge, and if you can prove me wrong, please do it. To my knowledge, I don't know of a single person throughout the Gospels who wanted Jesus to heal them, and he didn't. That tells me that if I'm willing to humble myself and acknowledge I need rescue, that he's more than willing and he's more than capable to do it. Right? You guys tracking with me? This is good news. This is good news. If you're here today and you don't know nothing about Jesus, I want you to be confident of one thing. Jesus absolutely wants to rescue you. And I want you to be confident of one other thing. You actually need rescue. He wants to rescue you actually need to be rescued. That's point number one. Is this good so far? You guys okay? 
So Luke shows us how serious Jesus is about rescuing humanity by giving us a variety of amazing miracles that Jesus performs. And what I want to do with you is I want to break down these stories so that we can get to the main point, or point number two, rather, and the title of the message. The message of Jesus needs to get from the synagogue out to the streets. So here's what I did. I, I studied the entire book of Luke, and I looked at every point where a miracle happens, every single one. To the best of my knowledge. And I got to 24. I found 24 different times where miracles are recorded in Luke's gospel. Now, to be fair, some of these times, it just says anyone, everyone, all the people. Like, So I'm not counting individual miracles because it would be in the thousands. I'm saying the specific times that Luke highlights miracles happening. Okay, you guys with me? Let me break them down a little bit to you. Of the 24 times, and that doesn't count Jesus' resurrection because obviously that's a miracle, but... Of the 24 times that Luke tells us about miracles taking place, three of them happen in a synagogue. Now you're getting the title of the message, right, from the synagogue. There's 24 different times that miracles are recorded in Luke's gospel, and out of the 24, only three of them happen in the local church. Mm, that's good. Two of them happen at an unclear location. It's not specifically said where Jesus is at, but when you read them, I think he's not in the synagogue. It, it seems to be he's out in the public again, but I didn't know for sure, so I didn't count them. But 19 of them, 19 of the miracles recorded happen in the streets or in the homes of individual people. And in case you're wondering, that's 79.16666666%. We're going to round up 80. I think this is intentional design is the Holy Spirit led Luke. Why? Because Luke's point is, Jesus came to rescue. Jesus said he was here to rescue. Jesus said he came to call the sick, right, to, to make the, the sick whole, to heal them, to call the sinner to repentance. I came to seek and to save the lost. And Luke's gospel validates that completely because only three miracles happen in the synagogue. The rest of them happen in the streets. Getting that. That's so good. It's so good. Let's keep going though. We're going to break it down a little more. These miracles cover everything from dead people being raised back to life, lepers being cleansed, the feeding of the 5,000, paralyzed people being healed, blind eyes being opened, demons being cast out, and people being healed from every kind of disease and sickness. Let me show you something else amazing about the miracles that happened in the synagogue and all three of the miracles that happened inside the local church. Only one person received a miracle. Only one. And thank God for that one. But let's see what happens when Jesus gets out in the streets. Eight times out of the 19 or 22, if you include the two unclear locations, eight times only one person is healed. But in most of those situations, the word about Jesus spreads like wildfire. People are captivated by it. Two times, one person is healed, but then crowds of people start to gather because they've heard he's, somebody's healing people, and they just start bringing people from everywhere. And Jesus just starts healing them. That didn't happen in the synagogue. Two times, one person is healed, and we don't see any record of any other miracles, but we see is the people are they're just going out like wildfire telling people about this man Jesus. Like something's happening, right? Two times, without somebody being healed initially, large crowds just gather because I think they know Jesus is doing some stuff and we want to be around Jesus. So large crowds gather, Jesus is healing everybody, and the word of Jesus, or the word about Jesus again just starts to spread crazy. Three times Jesus performs a miraculous sign in front of people. It's the miraculous catch of fish, the feeding of the 5,000, and the calming of the storm. And I just want to point something out to you uh, that I find fascinating, and I'll move on. Uh, two of these were specifically just with the disciples. They weren't for the crowd. And they happened in, out in the wild. And it makes me wonder, if we'd get a little more involved outside of the walls of the church, if maybe we'd encounter Jesus in some crazy ways. Just thought. Just thought. Just thought. Two times a crowd gathers with Jesus, and Jesus just starts healing everybody. He just can't help himself. He does it. And one time, Jesus heals 10 lepers at once. 
The two times that Jesus performs a miracle in the unclear locations, this is what happens. One time Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And John the Baptist's disciples go back to John to report what Jesus has done. This is, this is one of the testimonies that validates that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. He is the rescuer. One time, Jesus drives out a mute demon, and the crowd is amazed, but then some question how Jesus is able to do such things. So what's, what's the point? What's the point that Luke is trying to get across? Uh, when the message of Jesus goes from the synagogue into the streets, the impact is multiplied like crazy. In other words, I guess I should say it like this. Jesus never intended for us to sit in the four walls of a building and wait for crazy miracles to happen. Luke's like, dudes, get what I'm saying. That if you'll get out there in the streets, if you'll take what you've got and you'll go out into the streets with it where the people are, God will show up. Two of those stories of the miracles, by the way, one of them is when Jesus sends out his 12 disciples and they go out and Jesus says, hey, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go out there and you're going to tell them about my kingdom and you're going to heal people and cast out demons and they get sent and you know what happens? It's really amazing that this happens. It happens. They go out and they come back and they're like, Jesus, like even the demons submitted to us in your name. And Jesus is like, I know. This is why I sent you. That's why I told you to go do it, because I'm here to rescue people, and I want you to participate in this mission with me, so go do it. The next time, he, he just amps up the ante a little bit, and he says, you know what, I'm not sending 12, I'm sending 72. And you know what happens? These aren't the, these aren't the 12. I mean, these aren't the elite of the elite. We can look at the 12 and go, those guys were like the it guys. No, these are just 72 dudes and dudes, dudettes and stuff, and he's just sending them out. And you know what happens? They come back and they go, hey, Jesus, you sent us out to proclaim your kingdom and to heal the sick and to cleanse the lepers and do all this stuff. And guess what? It happened. And they come back and they're rejoicing. Like they're full of joy. Why? Because God's doing something out there and they get to be a part of it. I'm just... Let me say it this way. If you're bored with Jesus, I really, really, really believe it's because you're not doing anything with him. And I don't mean that to hurt you. I mean that to say, like, Jesus is really exciting. And if you're bored with him, it's really probably because you're not doing anything with him. Let, let me say it another way. Jesus said he came to lead us into the abundant life. The good life, right? The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come to give you life and give it to the full, give it to the abundant, whatever, however you want to say it. Jesus is leading you to the good life. Every part of what Jesus is doing in Luke's gospel is leading us to the good life. So when Jesus says, hey, get out there and go do this stuff in the streets, that's part of you finding the fullness of the good life that God wants for you. I'm telling you what, like, I want to encounter Jesus. How many of you have ever been on a mission trip? Let me see. Yeah, lots of you. Great. How many of you on a mission trip? You just like, man, God just showed up. It was great. Yep. You can, you can live that every day of your life. I can I can live that every day of my life if I want to. Why? Because Jesus is here to rescue, and He never stopped. He never stopped. In fact, the only thing that changed is He's like, hey boys, I've shown you how to do it. I've empowered you to do it. I'm going to go back to where I belong up in heaven at the right hand of God and I'm going to oversee things and I'm going to help you and I'm going to intercede on your behalf. But get out there. Go do something. Dave, you did a fantastic... I love... Which, like, you farm, right? Let me ask you a simple question. Don't mess this up for me. Please. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, he said, hey, the harvest, I want to give you... Jesus is like, let me give you a little clue. The harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into the harvest field. Can you reap a harvest inside of your house? Say no. Yeah, no. <laughs> he said no. For everyone, just so we're all unsafe, he said no. Where do you have to go to reap the harvest? You got to be outside. You got to be in the field. You got to be in the field. I wonder if too many times we felt like, you know what needs to happen? Sinners just need to come here. 
And Jesus is like, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't say the harvest is plentiful. Pray that the wheat just uproots itself and comes into the church. No, he said, pray the Lord of the harvest send you out there where they are. Get out there and do like take a sickle and go start harvesting some stuff because it's, it's ready to be harvested. Jesus is like, you don't have to worry about whether or not it's ready. It's ready. The question that Jesus is asking us and myself included is, are you ready? Are you ready? Because they're ready. Are you ready? We can't reach a lost world if we're just hanging out in the four walls of the building that we gather in. So Jesus is here to rescue humanity. That's pretty cool. Jesus' message needs to get out of the synagogue and into the streets. I've already kind of hit this, but I'm going to say it again. Consider this just with me. If I wonder if we will encounter Jesus more out on the streets as we do the work of the gospel than we ever could inside the walls of the building we gather in. I just wonder, like if what's missing in some of our lives is that we only come here and we never go there. Just thought. My third and final point. You guys okay? You're hanging with me? It's really hot. I'm sweating like crazy. Give me just a second. Luke wants us to know that Jesus gets distracted by lost things. He came to rescue. He's getting out of the synagogue into the streets where the lost things are. And Luke drives home the point that Jesus actually gets distracted by lost things. In Luke chapter 15, there's three really, I mean, if you've been in church for a little while, if you're new to the church, you might not be aware of them, but but maybe one of them, but... If you've been in the church for a while, you've probably heard these three parables, but I want to show you how they're set up. In Luke 15, starting in verse 1, we read this. Now the tax collectors, that's like Jesus' favorite people to hang out with. He's a tax collector in Matthew, tax collector. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. That's wonderful. Like lost people actually are really interested in Jesus. You should write that down. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It is like a repeating, like we're just in this weird cycle where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are just like, this guy just won't give it up, man. He just keeps hanging out with sinners. And it's like Jesus is like, because I told you multiple times, this is what I'm here for. Like you shouldn't be shocked by this at this point. But they are. And so then Jesus tells them three parables. We're not going to read them all because that would take way too long, but I want to just break them down for you and you can read them later if you want to. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep. And in the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd loses one of his 100 sheep. So he's got 100 and one of them leaves. And so the shepherd leaves the 99, he leaves the 99 to go and find the lost one. And when he finds the one that was lost, he brings it back to the rest, and then he rejoices with all of his friends and his neighbors that he's found it. The second parable is about a woman who has ten coins, but she loses one of her coins. And she looks for the one she has lost until she finds it, and once it's found, she also invites her friends and her neighbors over to the house to have a party to celebrate that the one lost coin was found. And the third parable, probably the most familiar to everyone, is the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. Some of the Gospels, you know, phrase it a little differently. But in this parable, there are two sons at their father's house. And one of the sons, the younger, loses his way. And he goes away from the father's household and he lives in sin and rebellion. Eventually, he realizes the error of his decision and he returns home expecting to be a slave for his father, but is rather restored to his sonship. It's a beautiful story. The, the father calls for a party to celebrate the return of his lost son. Yet the older son, the one who didn't leave, we discover he's also lost. He's lost because he didn't understand the value of the brother coming home. What do these three parables have in common? This. The focus in each parable is on the thing that's lost. 
not on the things that are already found. I want to be really delicate in how I say this because I'm, I'm you. I'm in this boat. I have to hear this from Jesus as well. Jesus has sinners and tax collectors around him and they're, they're excited to hear what Jesus has to say. And it's the religious people who don't like what's happening. That's the setup. And then Jesus in that setup gives three parables about how passionate God is about the thing that is lost. I almost wonder if Jesus is trying to tell us, hey, quit being so concerned about yourself. And he's got every right to say that to me because he's already told me, I'm going to take care of you. I'm leading you to abundant life. The life that I have for you, you can't find anything better on your own. Just trust me. But you want to know where my heart is? My heart's for the thing that's lost. Come join me in finding lost things. And you know what happens when we join him in finding the lost things? We get to be at the party. I love that in the last parable, you have the two sons. It's not just like in the first two parables, there's just a thing lost that gets found. In the last parable, there's the two sons. And the one son who was lost gets found, and the other one misses out on the party because... He's jealous. Why, what did you do for me? You can go read it yourself. What, what did you do for me? I've been here with you the whole time. What did you ever do for me, Father? And he's like, boy, he was lost. You've been with me this whole time. Everything that I have is yours. But this one was lost. We got to celebrate he's come back home. I think... I think that Jesus is he's trying to get in our crawl a little bit and go, you're too self-centered to see the beauty of what's happening outside of this place. You think I'm making it up, the story of the ten lepers. You ready for this? I'm just going to show you this. It's, it's almost as if us who are in the house already, we like forget how good God is. It really is. In the story of the ten lepers, Jesus heals ten of them, and he sends them off there to go to the synagogue, Right? And as they go, they're healed. But how many of you know, how many come back to Jesus? One. You know what he says about the one? You're a Samaritan. Is it really that only the foreigner came back to praise me and to thank me? Which implies the other nine weren't foreigners. They knew they were covenant people. And they got the miracle, and they just kept going about their business. See, I think Luke's trying to show us two things, that Jesus is very, very, very interested in finding lost people and rescuing them. And I think at the same time, Luke's going to great efforts to show us that even those of us who are in the house can still be lost. That we've missed the way. And we've got to get back to a place of gratitude. We've got to get back to a place of acknowledging we're already here and everything the Father has is already ours. Our priority now needs to be go finding the ones that aren't home yet. Right? I've got a couple things I want to point out to you. If you're good, if you're good, we're going to keep going. You guys good? Thumbs up? All right. Consider this. In all three stories... The thing that's lost started in a position of being found. In all three stories. The sheep that was lost was already one of the hundred. The lost coin was already part of the ten. And the two sons were already in the father's household. What does this mean for us? Here's what I think. I think that Jesus is teaching us that God views all of humanity as his possessions. And that they have been lost and God is desperately working to find them again, to bring them back to where they were always meant to be. Isn't that fascinating? That each one, it was something that was already in the possession of the person and it was lost. I really believe God's like, this is how you need to view lost people. They're not just lost people, they're mine. They're mine. And I'm going to search until I find them. So if you want to know where God's at on any given day of the week, he's out there. 
looking. Is it possible that if we aren't active in Jesus' mission of reaching the lost, that we ourselves have fallen into a place of needing to be rescued again? And these parables make it clear that Jesus is absolutely distracted by his lost ones. I can't help but notice the differences in the parables either. Just follow along with me. In the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd leaves the 99. So he has 99. He leaves them. Like, you guys just... He's going after the one, right? In the parable of the lost coin... Follow with me. We aren't told that the other nine coins are left somewhere. Track track with me here. It's very possible that in the story of the lost coin, the other nine coins are in her pocket or in her purse or in her possession. And she's taking them with her as she goes to search for the one that's lost, right? It doesn't say that she left those behind. So we can assume that she has them on her person. And then in the parable of the lost son, the father doesn't leave his house. He's just looking. And he's waiting for the son to come back. Three totally different ways that the lost things are being found. Here's the point, I think, of of this happening. Of these three parables right there, back to back to back, showing us these different ways that this happens. I I think it's supposed to tell us this, that there's a way for every lost thing to be found. Why is that such good news? Hey, parents that have children that are prodigals right now, I just want you to know that God's got a way for them to be found. If you've got loved ones that that don't know Jesus and you've been praying, I just want you to know that according to these parables, there's a way for them to be found. And it might not look the way that we think it does. In the sheep, he goes and finds the sheep and he leaves everyone else. In the coin, we don't really know what's happening with the other coins, but we know that the coin is found. In the parable of the lost son, right, he doesn't go chase the lost son down. And part of me wonders if it was because the son was a willful decision to leave. Sheep are kind of dumb. You know, like they can just lose their way. Or so I'm told. I've never been a shepherd. But I seem to be reminded that, that, that sheep are just kind of not the most intelligent of species, and it's, and it's kind of normal for them to lose their way. That's why they need a shepherd to guide them, because they'll lose their way. Uh, the coin is just completely unaware of itself, You're right? I think some people have lost their way. They've just drifted away. They don't really know why. It just kind of happens. Some people are just absolutely unaware that they're lost to begin with, and then some people willfully walk away. But there's a way for every lost one to be found, and that gives me hope. I got some lost people in my family. And what I want sometimes is for God to be the shepherd who just goes and chases them down, finds them, throws them over his shoulders, and brings them back, and we just have a big party. That's what I want sometimes. It's also interesting that the sheep can continually just get more lost. You know what I'm saying? Like, they can just keep wandering. I don't know. I just think about these things. What are all the implications of these stories? Jesus is here to rescue humanity. The message of Jesus has to get outside of the synagogue and into the streets. And Jesus is distracted by lost things, and we should be too. You know, maybe you're here today, and you're one of Jesus' lost ones. Maybe you're like the sheep who just kind of lost their way kind of just got messed up, whatever. I want you to know that Jesus is right now, he's here to rescue you again. That's what he wants to do. He wants to heal. He wants to restore. He wants to redeem. You know, in all three of those stories, none of the lost things get beat over the head for being lost. In all three stories, there's a party about them being found. That's the heart of God, is he wants to welcome you home. If you're watching on live stream and you're lost, I want you to know that Jesus is actively searching for you. And he just wants you to come home. Because Jesus is absolutely aware of how much the world is trying to destroy you. How much the kingdom of darkness is trying to destroy your life. The hurt and the pain and the sorrow and the loneliness and the hopelessness. Jesus knows fully what sin is doing in the world. And Jesus wants to rescue And we want you to be rescued. So if you're watching on live stream and you're not with Jesus, I'm begging you to come home. 
come find healing and hope and new life and the good life that can only be found in Jesus. If you're in the sanctuary today and you're far from Jesus, he's not angry. He's searching. And he's ready to throw a party with you and to bring you new life. Maybe you're here today and you're a prodigal. You once were with Jesus and you're not even really sure why you're here today because you're still not really sure about Jesus. But for some reason you're here. I want you to know that Jesus isn't here to be angry and to condemn and to judge. He's here to set you free. His whole mission is to rescue us. And I want to keep saying yes to that rescue. And I want to keep calling people to that rescue. We're not the ones that do it. We just get to tell people about the one who can. If you would, I just want, would you just stand with me and bow your heads, close your eyes. I just want everybody to stand with me. If you're here today and you're a found one, I want to ask you to start interceding for the people that are here that aren't. I want you to start praying on their behalf that this would be the day of salvation for them, that this would be the day that they respond to Jesus. Whether they're a prodigal, whether they're a sheep, or whether a coin, that they come back. If you're joining us on live stream, this is for you as well. You can respond to this. You can send us a direct message. You can comment. You can let us know that you want to find Jesus, that you want to be found by Jesus, that you want what Jesus has to offer you. Being rescued starts with repentance. I need you to hear this. Being rescued starts with repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is this. It means I'm going to change my mind. That I'm not going to believe the way I used to believe anymore. That I acknowledge because of Jesus that I need rescued. That there is something in me that's not right and I need rescued from it. The thing is called sin. And it's why all the messed up things are happening in the world and in your life. We do it to each other. We do it to ourselves. We do it to our neighbors. We, we sin. But Jesus has come to forgive us. And if we will come to Jesus with a repentant heart that says, I'm not going to do this my way. I'm going to do it however Jesus tells me to. Because he's the rescuer. He's the one who has the key to unlock the prison door. And whatever he says, I'm going to follow him. That's repentance. And the Bible says that God will be faithful to forgive you of your sins. He'll wash you white as snow. And Jesus will start the journey of leading you to the good life. You can only find it through repentance, though. You can't find the good life without surrendering the bad. And to find rescue, we all have to admit, we're really good at the bad. (laughs) But we'll let Jesus lead us into the good. If you're here today and you would say, maybe for the very first time or maybe you have lost your way, but today you want to say, I'm coming back to Jesus. I want you to raise your hand right where you are. I just want to pray for you. Raise your hand. I see that. Raise it up real high so I can see there's nothing to be ashamed of here. I'm a rescued person. I just want you to know you can be rescued too. It's a good boat to be in, people. Amen. Amen. I only saw one hand, but I'll take it. I don't know if there's anybody on live stream, but we'll take that too. Let us know. Sir, will you come, would you be willing to come down here with me? I just want to pray with you. Is that okay?
You know, I never want to lose the gratitude that I've been rescued. Man, I remember what I was, a hot mess. I remember the hopelessness. I remember being in the upstairs of my apartment praying and just asking God to take me. I remember trying it a couple of times on my own and God intervening each time. And you would say, why? I have no idea. That's how dark it was. I can't explain it. I have no reason why I had a good life. But there was just something the devil was doing to try to hurt me. And man, I'm just, I'm, I got three beautiful babies. You know, like this God, that's what God does. That's what he does. Romans 12, 1 is my last verse. I'm going to lead us into just a moment of ministry time. Romans 12, 1. Paul writing to the church, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, because none of us deserve what we have, in view of His mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Church, here's what Paul didn't say. Hey, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God on Sunday mornings during praise and worship. He, said, I didn't, he didn't say, hey, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God in view of his mercy when you're at a church outreach event. No, Paul says, you're true, my true and proper form of worship is to every day surrender it all Jesus you're king you get my mind you get my mouth you get my ears you get my heart you get my hands you get my strength you get my wisdom you get my plans they're all for you because I know what you've done and here's the thing you don't have to question what God's leading you to do go rescue people what's that going to look like for you and for me it's going to be different if you work in a factory you're in a harvest field if you work in a business office you're in a harvest field if you're a bus driver for the school system you're in a harvest field if you're a teacher at a public school you're in a harvest field and the harvest is ready church we have to be committed to what Jesus is doing why because that's where we find the good life it's where it's at. So now I'm going to pitch to you an opportunity to serve. And if you're wondering, was this whole message a setup? It wasn't, but it became one. We're doing a tent revival in Wapak next Sunday. It starts. Here's what I'm praying for. How many of you are prayer? You're just prayer people. You have the gift of praying, of interceding. Anybody in here got the gift of just praying? Raise your hands real high so I can see you. I need to see you. Here's what I need you to pray with me about. This is what I'm praying for. I haven't even told pastor this yet. This is where I'm setting my faith. 100 salvations and 10 lost families in the house. That's what I'm praying for. I'm begging you to pray that with me. Let's set our faith. 100 salvations and 10 families that were once lost are found and in the house of God. So if you're an intercessor, pray with me this week. It starts next Sunday. And then let me know you're doing that. Reach out to me. Here's why. Because I'm going to keep you updated with what's happening. I'm going to keep you updated with specific things that you can be praying for at each service. I want you to be involved in this process because God gave the church intercessors and we want to use them. But not everybody's got that gift. Some of us are really good at setting stuff up and tearing stuff down. We need your help. Some of you got the gift of gab. I need you to be there to talk to people, to love on some people. To welcome them in to a place where we believe Jesus will show up and rescue. I need you there with me. I'm going to be there giving food away. That's my gift. I like to eat and so I want to share that with people. I need your help. I read church, I need your help. And here's what I know. This is what I'm excited about. That if God's word is true, then we're going to encounter Jesus out there. I want you to encounter Jesus with me. I'm not preaching. 
I just get to be there and hang out. That's cool. I like that part. I just get to be there and watch other people preach and minister. But I'm telling you, we need you. So here's, here's a couple of things you can do today. I got tons of door hangers still left to go out. You can take some door hangers. I'll give them to you. You can take them. If you got list, you can hit like 25 homes in 10 minutes. It's not hard. I'll give you something. You can go to Walpock and just go wherever you want to. I'll tell you wherever we've already been so we don't annoy people, but you can go. I got flyers, posters. You can take one. I know you're going to the Mexican restaurant after this service. Take one and hang it up in their window and don't tell them about it. Just do it. Some of you going to Bob Evans, put one on every table. Why? Because when Jesus starts moving, the word starts spreading. And if he's moved in our lives, it's our obligation to go spread the word and to bring people, to just bring people. It's not going to get easier than bringing them to a tent outside. They can leave if they want to. You know, there's no walls to lock them in with. I'm asking you to help us to catch the heart of God and to find the good life with us as we go to serve our communities. And can I just, I know we got Aqua Grande. I just want to say thank you to those of you that are helping us with the garden. I just read yesterday, Kristen, uh, Kristen wave so everybody sees you, Kristen. Kristen and Faith, Faith Waver, yeah, Faith, they went and they did the vegetable cart in, in the Botkins community for the first time and she already shared a testimony of a lady that they got to pray with who just needs a miracle from God. That's why we do it. Not because we enjoy waking up at 6 a.m. and picking vegetables, but because, because you don't need a reason to do something nice for people that you love. Are you trying, like, you don't need a reason to do something nice for people that you love and God loves them and so we should love them and so we're just out there doing it. Be a part of it. Thank you to everyone that already is, but be a part of it. Let's do something and be a part of the mission that God has for his church. Amen? All right, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word. I pray that our hearts would just burst with a new fire for the mission of Jesus for this earth, that we would be captured by Jesus' heart to rescue humanity, to get the message out of the synagogue and into the streets, and that we also would be people that are just distracted by your lost ones and we would be passionate about searching until they're found fathers you send us out just as jesus sent out the 12 and then sent out the 72 i thank you that your word is true and as we go out to just tell people about jesus that you're present with us that the holy spirit's anointing us with power and that we're going to see jesus just just go crazy wild out in the streets that we're going to see the harvest come in because we're going out Thank you, Father, for your goodness. We love you. We love you. Can you just for a moment just tell the Lord that you love him? Just thank the Lord for what he's done in your own life. God, we just are grateful. We praise you. We honor you today, Jesus. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you'd like a flyer, the door hangers, you can come meet me down here. If you want to pray with us about this uh, outreach, you can come meet me down here. I'd love to talk with you. But other than that, enjoy Aqua Grande. You guys have a blast. We love you so much, church. Have a great day. Enjoy your hamburgers.